You are listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I am your host, Celine Yeager. Each week, I bring you advice from athletes, scientists, researchers, and other experts to help you feel and perform your best, no matter what your hormones are doing. This show is a production of Live Feisty Media. Hello, strong, feisty women. So we have a firecracker for you this week. I sat down with one of the most positive, dynamic women I know, Annabelle Broadbent. Annabelle is a NASA-trained pathogenic microbiologist by profession and is the CEO and founder of Verde Ops, which is a company that provides food science, operational knowledge, execution, and support to plant-based food companies. But that just barely scratches the surface of who she is and what she does. Annabelle is also an accomplished runner, a running coach, a vegan athlete, a commercial fashion model with Celebrate the Gray, a creative artist, a photographer, a horsewoman, a certified equine massage therapist, a cyclist, skateboarder, and yogini, and much, much more. As a runner, she has represented Puerto Rico and the United States at international competitions and has amassed 15 Puerto Rico national records as a master's runner in four different age groups in seven different distances. And last year, at age 55, Annabelle was awarded the 2022 USATF Gold Fidipides Award for Excellence in Long Distance Running. She's also deeply interested in menopause and helping women thrive through this time of life. As she herself has had to adjust and change the way she trains to maintain elite performances, and though her body is changing, she is still putting her best days ahead of her, and she wants other women to do the same. We talk all about that, her cultural experiences with menopause, and much, much more. You can learn all about her at her website, for her business, at her Instagram, and at Great Vegan Athletes, and I will put links to that in the show notes. I hope you enjoy this one as much as I did. All right. I also have a little announcement for next week. International Women's Day is coming up and Feisty Media is celebrating this by doing a live podcast recording that I'll be hosting along with Feisty Media CEO, Sarah Gross, on why equal opportunity is no longer enough. Join us on March 7th at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for a panel conversation about what it means to embrace equity in sport. We'll be talking to four women who face a variety of different challenges in the athletic sphere on what equity means to them specifically. You can sign up to be a part of that at womensperformance.com slash IWD. I will put a clickable link to that in the show notes. All right, before we get to it, Reminder that I am taking voicemails to do a question and answer episode. You can leave any question you like answered at speakpipe.com slash hit play. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And remember to sign up for my free weekly blog at feistymenopause.com where I distill all the latest research and what it means to you. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at feistymenopause.com. Come join our private hit play not pause Facebook group. I have an email. Hit play, not pause at livefeisty.com if you have suggestions for guests or want to give me some feedback. We also have our Level Up membership, which is growing and awesome, where we bring lots of guests in, some of them podcast guests of the past, where you can sit down for an hour-long Zoom and get one-on-one time, have your questions answered with some of the best brains in the business. And you can see that at feistymenopause.com as well. All right. 
Finally, a very quick thanks to Prevenex for their ongoing and continued support of this show. I get feedback all the time. I just got a review from a woman who says, my joints feel better. I haven't been waking up because of burning sensations in my joints. I've only been on it for four weeks. And uh, she's hoping that if she takes it longer, the pain will be gone. And I can say that mine certainly is. So thanks, Prevenex, for your continued support of the show. All right, enough of me. Let's have a few words about our awesome sponsors and get on with the show. For decades, running shoes have been researched, tested, and designed for men. Brands have relied on the shrink it and pink it approach to sell male shoes to female customers. That's why we are stoked to be working with Hedda's. Hedda's designs athletic footwear for women that elevates performance, safety, and style. Hedda's has unlocked the science behind women's biomechanics through dedicated research and creates better shoes for women's performance. Some of Hedda's special features include a lower ankle collar to reduce rubbing on women's ankle bones, a breathable mesh toe box to allow for ventilation and accommodate female toe shape, a more narrow and reductive heel cup to reduce heel slippage and take pressure off the Achilles, a rounded instep that creates a snug fit through the middle to match the curvature of a woman's foot, and supercritical foam and a PBEX plate in the midsole to keep our legs going when the going gets tough. Hedda's has three shoe models designed for different sessions, the Alma Cruise for your long runs, the Alma Tempo for training days, and the Alma Speed for pushing the pace. I've been running in the Alma Tempos, and they are a pleasure to train in. You can get your own pair of Hedda's at Hedda's.com and use the code FEISTY20, that's all caps, FEISTY20, for 20% off. Check it out today. We'll put a clickable link in the show notes to make it a snap. Good sleep. The one thing that sets you up for a great workout and a good day is quality sleep. We talk about it all the time here on the show, which is why I'm stoked to have Lagoon Sleep as a new sponsor. Because one of the most overlooked tools in a great sleep toolbox is the thing you literally rest your head on eight hours a night, your pillow. A quality pillow is everything. Otherwise, you end up tossing, turning, punching, and folding your pillow, waking up with neck pain, and all the stuff that happens when your pillow doesn't meet your personal comfort needs. Say hello to the most comfortable sleep you've ever had with Lagoon. They start you out with a two-minute personalized pillow quiz and then pair you with your perfect pillow. I got the Otter, a cooling adjustable pillow that is perfect for side sleepers who run warm at night like I do. It is a dream. It's fully adjustable, so I was able to get the perfect loft and support, and the cooling feature is everything. As someone who turned into a furnace every evening before menopause, I appreciate that the Otter is stuffed, with shredded gel-infused memory foam, which instead of trapping heat from my neck and head, draws it away and dissipates it. It's truly delightful. I'm a good sleeper, and Otter has taken it to the next level with both support and cooling. Put my head down, good night, Irene. My aura ring confirms what little tossing and turning I was doing is gone. The beauty of the pillow quiz is you can get the perfect pillow that you need to and make your sleep the best sleep you can have. Go to lagoonsleep.com slash hit play and take the two minute quiz to find your perfect match and then use the code hit play all caps one word for 15% off your first purchase. Sweet dreams. Musculoskeletal health is everything during menopause. Everyone knows how much I love Joint Health Plus from Prevenex, which has helped me get back to distance running after arthritic toes stopped me in my tracks. Now they have a product that has become my go-to for muscle strength and recovery, Muscle Health Plus. 
Muscle Health Plus contains all the key ingredients we talk about on this show, like creatine monohydrate, essential amino acids, and branch chain amino acids, plus even more cutting-edge ingredients like HMB and estrogen that are scientifically shown to increase muscle growth, recovery, and strength. I use it every day during my early morning lifting sessions, and there's no question that it helps my power during those workouts and my recovery after. Plus, I love having everything I need from the best high-quality ingredients in one reasonably priced shake. I've also heard from fellow users who have had bloating or GI upset in the past from creatine that haven't had any of that with Muscle Health Plus. I make my shake with almond milk and espresso, but it's also good with ice cold water, which makes the flavor really pop. As always, you can get 15% off your first order with the code HIPPLAY, all caps, one word, at Previnex.com. That's HIPPLAY, all caps, one word, at Previnex.com. Do your muscles a favor and head on over and get some today. All right, Annabelle. Well, I am so thrilled that we have finally, after literally, I think it's two years, you know, <laughs> have finally made this happen. We're also like practically neighbors and we still have not um, met each other. So I'm really glad that you're, yes. that we've made it happen today. Welcome. Thank you so, so very much. I am just incredibly excited. I'm just like trying not to jump out of my chair. You look um, like you're going to come out of your skin. <laughs> <laughs> a fangirling, major fangirling. <laughs> I am just, I mean, uh, you know, I'm a big, big fan. And um, in the work that you do is so incredibly important and you do it so incredibly well. Um, so I'm just honored and incredibly happy to be able to have this opportunity to actually have a chat with you today. Oh, thanks so much. Well, we have a lot to talk about. I mean, along with your professional work as a pathogenic microbiologist, um, your website describes you as an elite vegan athlete, thriving on a plant-based diet, a commercial fashion model, which I've seen some of that work. It's amazing. A creative artist, a photographer, a horsewoman. You have a lovely turquoise horse on your necklace. I love that. Oh my that. God, yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> a certified equine massage therapist, a cyclist, a skateboarder, and a yogini. That's a lot. And we're not going to get all of it to this hour, but we are definitely going to dig into a lot of the themes. And I think running is probably one of the biggest one, correct? Oh, yes. Yes, 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 yes. Absolutely love running. I mean, that is, um, you know, I don't like, I have issues with labels, right? But the reality is that most people, when they first meet you, they want to know two things. Hey, what's your name? Um, so what do you do? I find that question so challenging. I'm looking at them going like, okay, how much have you had to drink? What's the context? You know, so it's like, what are you interested in? The scientist, the runner, the model, how do you know me? What What is the context? So I always have a really hard time answering that question. What do you do? Um, so it depends on the circumstances. Or, or some other times, like other people have like no idea what I do outside of the world they know me in. So for example, I, I'm at the barn. So most people think I'm Jay-Z's mom. It's like, I don't think they really know my name, but it's all right. It's like, so they have no idea that outside of the barn, I'm not you know, I'm not a vaquera, a horsewoman, I'm lots of other things. So it's okay. I have a hard time, you know, with just deciding which label to wear. Who is Jay-Z? Oh, my, my horse. <laughs> <laughs> much cooler, much cooler than the rapper, by the way. We're not. It's just like, yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> so something we haven't talked about yet. Okay. <laughs> no, that would be much cooler. My, my horse's name is a J and a Z. So definitely much cooler. Excellent. Excellent. Well, you are you are 
let's talk about the running you at the moment because you are really quite accomplished at it. You have uh, 15 Puerto Rico national records as a master's runner in four different age groups and seven different distances. And just this year, I saw that you got the 2022 USATF Gold Philippides Award for Excellence in Long Distance Running. So how did you get into this? And tell me about this passion. Yeah, so... I absolutely love running. It's a very innate thing. So no one ever told me go run. No one ever said try this. I never even saw too many female runners. So let's put things in context. I'm 55. I was born and raised in the middle of the Caribbean, a small island, Puerto Rico, in the middle of the Caribbean. So please keep in context that it's a different generation. It's a different time. Things have changed a little bit, not as much as I'd like, but it's a completely different um, generation, right? So my generation at the time, you know, girls were not encouraged to run. You know, that was not a thing that, you know, hey, yeah, go run, play. And, you know, it was more like ballet, piano lessons, do really, really well at school. Oh, you like science. Absolutely. That's great. You want a microscope? Here's a microscope. Oh, you want to learn to sew? You can learn to sew, perhaps be, consider becoming a fashion designer, but run? Uh-uh. No, I don't think so. That was not encouraged. So as I think about when was the first time that I even realized that I loved doing it? It was, I could go back as far as, you know, I must have been like, I don't know, 11 or 12 years old. My family was on vacation at a major resort in Puerto Rico. I go ahead and do my thing, which is I disappear. I go explore. I go do my thing. I'm, I'm fiercely independent. And that's just in my genetic. That's just who I am. Right. So I um, I find a little race going on. It's a they have the little kids race and then they have, you know, the adults race. It's the very first time that I actually saw it. And it was like, you know, in, in the confines of the resort. So it was pretty safe. And I thought, I'm just, just going to jump and run. I mean, I the distance was very short. So I ran and I felt so amazing. I was like free and I just loved it. And I was so fast and I beat all the boys and I thought, cool. <laughs> um, so I won a medal. Uh, it's How a little medal. I think it must have been 11 or 12. I have okay. to go back and determine okay. what it year. But I just remember being very young. Um, so anyways, the point is, I still have that medal, by the way. Um, talk about a, a visual of reminding you, you know, how, your why and how it started. So that I was thrilled. Um, eventually, I went back to the villa where my parents were staying. And the feedback was not, oh, my God, you ran, you beat all the boys and you won a medal. No, the, the, the feedback was like, what in the world? You don't run and don't ever do that again. And I think I must have been grounded for like three years or something like that. So that feedback was very, very definite that, no, you do not do this. This is not girly. This is not, you know, what girls do. So anyways, it, that's why it explains a few years go by and I'm not running. I didn't run in high school. Mm -mm, that's not the thing. Um, when I left Puerto Rico, I was, um, it was in 1985 when I graduated from high school. So it was at that point that I gained a sense, a bit of freedom and a completely different perspective. Now I'm in a culture that is much more accepting of women running. But at that point, I had no direction. So innately, I thought I had some gift or innate talent, but there was no way to even find out what that was because I, who do I ask? Where do I go? So I immersed myself just again in academics. And I did that for a very long time. So you know about my academic career. So it takes a very long time. So it was not until like after graduate school, when I'm working as a senior scientist with the USDA that I decided I'm just going to do a little bit of recreational running. And I started finding some, and this is right here in the, you know, um, Pennsylvania area, started doing some of the local races, started 
immersing myself in the running community. And that's what made the difference. I think I learned more about running and racing and training through the community. Um, I joined a club, um, you know, just a local club here in Bucks County. I met other people, started going to races. And very quickly within that period of time, I went from a recreational runner to someone who's training in a much more structured way, still on my own. And I started winning at races in my age group. So, or there were a few races that I just won them overall, you know, all the little local races. So I did five Ks, a 10 Ks. Um, and my very first long distance race was the Broad Street Run. Um, and that was amazing. That is when I knew, wow, I think I'm a long distance runner. <laughs> and that's a 10 miler for people who that don't is a know 10 Broad miler. Street. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is a 10 miler. It's fast and flat is point A to point B, the vibe of the city. At that point, it was like 40,000 people. So really big race. And I loved it. And I just loved the way I felt and how easy that came. I was like, oh, and prior to that, I had done like the longest was a 10K. So there's a bit of a oh jump. yeah. So and then you go, oh, that wasn't so bad. So obviously, then after that, I went the following year. But at that point, again, started training uh, in a much more structured way. And then one thing led to another, and then that led me to um, joining the um, USA Track and Field Club, Athena Track Club at the time, you know, some of the fastest masters female runners in the United States and the world. I mean, they have some world records and, and, um, um, and national records. So the key to the story there is who you surround yourself with. At that point, I, I was like, that was like a, a quantum leap for me, right? Um, yeah, I was pretty good in my age group and that sort of thing, but now I'm surrounded with master female runners who are just doing amazing things. So to me, that was a, a, a pivotal moment in my running. Um, and then beyond that, um, I stayed with them for a few years, five or six years, and then joined a different club, the Philadelphia um, um, Track and Field, um, Philly Masters. And I was with them for about 11 years. And it was not until recently, about a year ago, that I switched teams to Greater Philadelphia. But that just gives you a sense as to how do you go from someone who is born on a tropical island in the middle of the Caribbean, who really is not encouraged to run to being a pretty decent recreational runner to now competing at the at the world level. Um, um, and anyways, so that's those are some of the highlights. <laughs> when you visit your family in, in Puerto Rico, do you take a suitcase of medals with you and say, look, look what look. I've done? Yeah. Um, you know, that's an interesting part of the story because um, I no one in my family is a runner. I have two sisters and, and a brother and none of them were into sports or anything else. And I don't know where this comes from, where, you know, this desire and this innate ability or, you know, or just the drive and determination to do something. And I guess part of it is the way I do one thing is the way I do everything. So people who really know me know that I run the way I work and I work the way I run. So I am very methodical, you know, Everything that makes me a really good scientist makes me a very, very good runner as well, because um, I'm very intentional and I'm also data driven. So if I'm doing something and it's not working, you know, I am going to do a root cause analysis. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to talk to the experts. I'm going to, you know, deep dive into the literature and figure it out and get answers. Um, and I do a lot of experiments, experiment of one, <laughs> try this. Oh, it didn't work. Try something else. Um, so um, so my family has never, ever actually seen me race in person. It was not until a few years ago, maybe three or four years ago, that I went back to Puerto Rico and I competed on, in, 
on the island for the first time. And that was quite an experience. Uh, it was an amazing, amazing experience um, a few years ago. And then this year, I went back to race the 10K over the bridge in San Juan. It used to be the largest 10K in the world. And that was another one of those milestones in my career. I was like, oh my God, here I am, my homeland. And it was just in winning my age group and, and just showing that all the records, even though have been done in certified courses, have been done in the United States. So I was always determined that I wanted to go back and to actually do it on my own homeland. So it's, it's, you know, it's been great. And my relationship with the Puerto Rico Masters Association, that was another major um, career, you know, running career uh, moment for me. Um, and what that came about through the community here in Pennsylvania, there was a Puerto Rican man, you know, came to do a race. Um, it was actually the only 10 miler. That's, oh, yeah. you, know, you know, where that is, right? So, and he won in the master's category, a friend of mine posted it. I was like, whoa, a Puerto Rican man comes to Pennsylvania and wins the race. So uh, clearly I connected with him. And then he was the one who connected me to folks in Puerto Rico. And then when the Puerto Rico Masters Association, you know, started looking at the times and what I had done, they were like, oh, wait, why are you wearing the USA uniform? So, um, so that was the very first time I had the opportunity to Put on that uniform and represent Puerto Rico in Toronto at regionals in 2019 before the pandemic started. And you talk about a life-changing moment um, that changed me completely because you know I just thought, okay, I'll put the singlet on. Oh, cool, red. When I put it on, it just I was like, oh my god, wait, wait, this is way too much pressure. I'm no longer running just for myself. I just felt this immense um, pressure, air, air quotes, that. I am carrying the hopes and the dreams of thousands of women, thousands of women that were told, no, this cannot be done. You know, now I'm doing it. Um, so, and then, and I, and I told the, the Puerto Rico Masters Association, folks, I am at the end of my season. I'm just going for fun. There's absolutely no way I'm going to be able to place. And in my last event, um, I won a bronze medal. And when I came back to the hotel room, my phone was blowing up. I just thought, oh my God, the impact that that had in, in women in Puerto Rico and throughout Latin America, I just, I had no idea that it was going to be that. I just thought, oh, okay, what just happened? So, um, so it was then that they're like, okay, you, we're, you know, we're going to the world. Um, and that was supposed to be last year and um, in Tampier, or this year actually, right? Because it got moved at the pandemic. Um, and that's why when you asked me about it the other day, I was like, oh, you're the appointment. I didn't get to go. Um, and that's the reality of life, right? Um, yeah. We're runners, but we're doing this, you know, balancing act with real life, right? It's not like this is my job. You know, this is a big part of what I do, but I have to be very intentional as to how I set up my life so that I can do the things that I love, so that I can put myself in a position to not only represent myself, but represent other women and um, as I do what I do. So it completely changed my why. This is not about, hey, Annabelle, how fast can you be? Hey, how many people can you beat? How many medals can you win? It just became about much more than that. It's about breaking stereotypes, it's about redefining what's possible for a Hispanic woman in her 50s. Yeah, no, I love that. And it's it's funny, I did a race around Puerto Rico, um, a bike race, 
Yeah. And I, yeah. When I was in, I was I guess I was in my early forties, but I was the only woman in the, uh, the A group in the, in the lead group. I, I was it. And it was, it was kind of hilarious. Like they didn't really know what to make of me. Right. At first I was, and I was in like the best shape I had probably been in. And, uh, did very very well but like the... let me ask you this was this the one picture that you're holding your bike on the ocean at a beach no that was Cuba. This... oh that, that was Cuba. Cuba. okay that was a, that was island. another yeah different <laughs> island yeah this is sorry i can send you some pictures of this one um by the way that was a great picture i loved it i mean it's years ago and i still remember that picture and that moment and you're in the and what you said in that pose was again so inspirational but sorry, thank go you ahead. no i appreciate that but it was funny because these because the uh spouses and girlfriends of the guys in the group would were literally like by the second day taking pictures of my behind and sending it to their husband saying this is all you're gonna see of her for the rest of the day like they were so <laughs> stoked that a woman was there like I love it I love it I love it I love it that it was hilarious um you, so you totally get me because um last year when I was working in Puerto Rico I was working and training in Puerto Rico and you know going back and forth to you know from Puerto Rico to Pennsylvania um, but when I was training and I was on the track or I was on the roads, the guys would, I would have people driving going like, what, well, what did you do it? Like, it was so boring that a woman by herself at my age with all the gray hair, you know, running down the street. And it's like, didn't I see you like an hour ago? You must be running like what, 14 miles. So anyways, I, it's, I realized how, what an oddity I was. It was like, you know, when I run in Percocet, it's not that odd to see a female my yeah. age running around. But, you know, in that, you know, yeah. circumstance, in that, in that geographical location, it's a completely different perception. And think about what the women were thinking. It's like, wait, what? It, what is she doing? <laughs> She's running? Where is she, where is she running from? <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about, let's talk about why another reason why we're here is menopause of course and the menopausal journey and there's a lot of intersection in this conversation you know culturally for sure um you had mentioned to me when we originally talked about doing the show that the biggest significant difference you found as a competitive long distance runner is the change in the body composition and the overall sort of lack of you know the muscle seems to go away very quickly like overnight and you felt very disconnected to your body um, I think you said at this point you were in your mid forties. Can you talk a little bit about like how that impacted your running and your training and, and what you did? Because like culturally, I mean, the whole menopause conversation is different too, right? In Puerto Rico. So let's unpack all of that. Absolutely. That's a lot to unpack, but let's start with, you know, <clears throat> the context of, you know, my mentality and what I knew about menopause and keep in mind, I'm a scientist. I'm, you know, I just, you know, I, I knew enough about, you know, anatomy and physiology and, and the human body to know that that was coming. Right. But just like you, I was sort of like in denial. Oh, not me. It'll be just fine. I'm going to blow right through it. Nothing is happening. Nothing is it's changing. And I can tell you that in my early forties and mid forties, I started just noticing I'm very much aware of my body. So anything that slightly changes, I just know. And I was like, what was that? That doesn't feel quite right. Um, and then the perimenopause, the whole period of, you know, the heavy flow and then the, the on and off, like it, everything I used to be incredibly regular. I mean, boom, 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 boom. And then er erratic things started happening. Periods missing. It's like, wait, what? And then now it's like bleeding, you know, unbelievably a lot. So, um, having conversations with my OBGYN, 
and not getting any really good information or feedback or really going like, eh, you know, that's just going to, you know, I was like, so when, what does this mean? How long am I going to be going through this? When is it actual menopause? When do I lose my period? I had, and then when she said, you have, well, the average age is about 52. Little did I know when well, it was 43, 44, when she said that. I'm like, like, how long? Are you, me? <laughs> Are you kidding me? I'm going to go through this for another few years. And it's going to be like, how long? And oh my God, every single visit, I was like, you know, she would ask me the same sort of questions to see how much it had changed. And it's like, no, nah, you're still pretty regular. What well, you miss here and there, but nah, it's not, you're not close. And I'm thinking this is, you know, out of control. But the good thing for me was like, all the hot flashes were non-existent for me. I had none of those issues. Um, my racing and running was still working with the type of training I was doing at the time, losing a few seconds here and there, but still, you know, highly competitive, still flowing along and still in denial thinking, Oh, I'm going to be just fine. Hit 50. And I'm like, Hmm, period still here. The symptoms, I think for me, so hot flashes was another thing. The weight hadn't really changed all that much, but it was creeping up. And I'm like, Hmm. And the things that I used to do to be able to just maintain my weight with effortlessly were not effortlessly anymore. It was like really hard. Um, so I'm thinking something is really changing here. My metabolism, everything is just feels off. Um, so another two years of that when my period finally stopped and I thought, great, now I'm home free. This is all behind me. No, <laughs> for me, I think the period was gone. The, a little bit of anxiety at times that was weird because again, I'm always, I have such really good tools that I have developed over the years in terms of meditation breathing practices, yoga that helped me tremendously with the whole anxiety thing. So, but every once in a while, it would be like out of nowhere. And I'm thinking, wow, oh, that was strange. You know, why am I so anxious? It's not, or the middle of the night thing that had never happened to me before. So I knew these, all these changes were happening. Granted, when I talk to other women and I, and I've listened to the people in your community, the folks, you know, some people have had much worse symptoms, right? So when it's hot flashes or what's an anxiety is really debilitating. And in my case, it was not debilitating, but annoying enough to affect my quality of life, right? Um, because for me, sleep is sacred. So once that goes, then that affects everything else. My ability to do my best performances, you know, work-wise and, and athletic-wise and so on. So in the past few years, um, the major drop uh, in terms of speed and the weight just coming on, the middle weight and the muscle just not being there. And it, it seemed like overnight, like all the fast twitch muscle just disappeared. I'm like, what happened? And it's like, it's just not there. Like you would try to shift gears and it was like, it's not there. It's not there. What happened? It's like my training hasn't changed. So at that point, I had worked with different coaches, and this is an important part of the conversation because it is very dangerous when you're working with coaches who do not know how to handle that. When coaches don't know that you know, to even gain a few seconds per mile is very difficult if you're dealing with you know, post-menopausal you know, hormonal changes. Um, so I worked with three different, uh, individuals, uh, really, you know, at least some of them really well known, and they just could not get me to even gain a few seconds per mile. It was the opposite. I was actually kept getting slower and slower and slower. So I decided to take matters into my own hands and really do the, the, the deep dive into the research and figure it out. And that's when, you know, a few years ago, I ran into both of your books, 
which were instrumental, especially the first one, and just trying to figure out how do I change what I'm doing in order to continue to perform at a really high level, because there's no way I was going to give it up. There's no way. I mean, I'm, again, surrounded by women who are in their 60s and 70s and 80s at nationals that are still, you know, performing amazingly. But the point is, nobody's really talking about it. Nobody's really saying how... How, do, how are you doing what you're doing? So the conversation is just not there. So to go back to the first part of your question, it was even worse when it came to the Hispanic you know, community. So in our family, that was never talked about. Like I have no idea when my mother went through menopause, how she went through menopause, nothing. I have no idea about even my sisters. It's just very taboo. Nobody talks about it. So I went to the running community thinking, oh, that's where everyone's going to tell me, you know, how, how does this work? How, what to expect? You know, what, you know, how did you make it through? Um, no, it's like, oh, no, no, no. I, you know, everyone individually figures it out. There's no conversation. There's no open conversation. So that was shocking to me. I was like, we're not talking about it. And, and the fact that I'm trying to even raise this topic in public is like the shame. It's like, oh, how long have you been in the United States? Oh, no, 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 girl. We don't no, We don't go there. We do not talk about those things. So um, I had to surround myself with people who are open to talk about it, like yourself and your group. And it, that was like, wow, fantastic. When I found your podcast and started listening to these conversations, I've learned so much from every single one of these conversations. Um, so that's the gist of, you know, in terms of how it, how it was for me. And even today, right now, it's um, at the end of 2022. And this year I raced 34 races, which is not that significant for me. I typically do, you know, up to 45 races. Um, but you can tell that my times were significantly slower in most of the races. Are they still, you know, good enough to place in my age group most times? Yes. Um, are they my best times? Is it feeling easy? Is it coming easy? It is incredibly difficult. Um, so I'm having to work a lot harder to be able to perform at a level that I used to be able to perform with a lot less effort. Um, so did I answer your questions? I know. Yeah, that. no, I mean, I appreciate that honesty. I'm, I'm curious what, if any changes that you did make to your training that, that has have helped you in any way. Yes, three major changes. The first one, my focus prior to this whole experience was mileage, right? Miles, 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 uh, volume. So one of the key changes that I've made this year is it's less miles, but a, peppering in a lot of intensity. So one thing I, if you have ever seen me run, I run like a little smurf. I mean, my, my, my stride is very short, so I'm not a gifted sprinter, but I have made myself into a sprinter because it is those bursts of short duration that have really like ignited that, you know, pick up speed again. Like I feel like, okay, I got it. I can't hold it for very long, but I don't have to, yeah. you know? So as part of my training, that has been the one key difference, especially this year where I'm, if I don't, you know, I used to run like at least 40 to 50 miles a, a week. And now if I don't hit 40, if I'm at 30 and 35, it's okay. I'm not so focused on the long run still has to happen, right? Most of the races that I do are up to the half marathon. So I need to have enough, you know, of that, you know, cellular level adaptation occurring for me to be able to 
you know, endure the distance, right, to be able to cover the 13.1. So it's not like I can run, you know, three miles a day and think that I'm going to be able to, you know, hold it for if half marathon. But um, so that's one change, right? So it's funny to see, and I hope, you know, no, I run early enough on the track, so nobody sees me, you know. <laughs> so it's, it's just like in those little bursts. Of, of, so that's one thing. The jumping in the plyometrics was something that was completely absent to my in my training prior to realizing that the way I train has to be different. So those jumps, um, again, very difficult for me, not, not a natural thing. I'm getting better at it and more comfortable adding them before or after a run and timing it just right. Um, so that is new to me and something that I have definitely benefited from doing. So that was number two. And then number three, of course, lift heavy stuff. So, um, I had always been lifting at least three days a week for many years. This is not new to me, but the type of lifting that I was doing was not, is not the type of lifting that works now. Right. So now I'm again, focused on very short reps. I do the most five or six and I'm lifting a lot heavier than I used to. Um, so, and then again, that was a gradual change. It's not like I just went out and started lifting, you know, 25 uh, pounds, um, doing of dumbbells. Um, so a gradual change that I think has been very beneficial and I need to do a lot more of that. And I'm hoping to be able to adapt or, or adopt a lot more exercises into my routine um, so that I can continue to, you know, gain muscle and just be able to keep that strength and, and regain it. Um, so those are really the three major changes in terms of the training and how I train that I have made everything else. I say the same in terms of the priority for sleep that never went away. So that has always been a focus of mine. Um, and the other one thing that I changed in the last year that I think is helpful and perhaps you or somebody in the audience may find helpful is how I start my morning, my morning routine. So my morning routine is again, very, very intentional is a quiet time of reflection. So the first thing I do is hydrate to make sure that I'm, you know, well, ready to start the day and just have really quiet time of reflection. I think one of the things about menopause that it has been a positive is finding that power, that awareness of who I am, what's important to me, what I value, what is it that I want to do? What is it that, so that clarity has been amazing because culturally and generationally, I have been conditioned to people, please, to do things and be things because it's what other people expected of me. And I think the shift and the benefit of having gotten to this level in my life is, you know what, it's about what I want, you know, I have to ask myself and to put my heart in my, my hand in my, in my, in my heart and really listen to that innate voice that I had you know, kept quiet for so long because I listened to everybody else before I listened to my own um, guidance. And that has been a key change in my life um, to just, you know, I think I heard you say recently, I, you know, it's like, you don't give an F anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I'm trying to get at. It's like, you know what, it's, it's like, if it doesn't ring if it doesn't resonate, if it doesn't align with my values, if it does not take me a step closer to my vision of where I want to be and what it takes to get there, it's like a no. So this year, 
especially business-wise and athletic-wise, I said a lot of no's to protect my yeses. So when I say yes to something, it's, it's, it's got to be like a hell yes, right? So if I commit to a race, it's like it's all in. So that has been a positive change in terms of it's just an empowering um, face in my life. I feel very comfortable in my own skin. Um, I think I've always been, you know, confident, but, um, but there's something different about the confidence that I have now. I think, especially in my field where it's mostly dominated still by white males, <laughs> scientists, um, it's, you know, it's not about asking for a seat at the table anymore. It's about creating your own table and feeling really empowered uh, to do that, right? Um, so that comes with the athletics, that comes with the endurance, that comes with the sitting in discomfort. All those things have made me much better in other areas of my life, but much more so, you know, after menopause, I just feel <laughs> really, you know, just be me. I don't have to be anyone else or meet anybody else's expectations. I, I just have to be me. I love that so much. We would stop right there, but I have more questions to ask you. So, like, I just, but, I, but I really, I do. I really love that. Um, before I, I move on to the, the next piece, I am curious. I know like you weren't able to go to the worlds that you wanted to this year. Is that on your list now? Is that a goal? Yes. That you, yeah. Very much so. So two of the key reasons why I didn't go. One, it was work related. It was, you know, scheduling. It just, I couldn't be two places at the same time. Um, and then um, the second is I knew that physically I was not ready to perform at the level I wanted to perform. Was I going to medal? Mm, unlikely. I mean, I see the times that these women are running. It's just like, wow, you know, maybe if I was, you know, if everything fell into place. And But again, I just wanted to go for the experience. And I wanted to go again simply because it is now beyond me. It's not about just me winning. It's about what it represents and, and the message that it sends to a whole group of women. So unfortunately, the timing wasn't right, and I wasn't able to make it. But the WMA, the World Masters um, Championships, um, uh, the indoor championships are happening in Poland in March. So they have the same three events that I was going to compete in, which is the cross-country AK, the 10K on the road, and the half marathon. And those are events that historically have been, you know, some of my best events. Um, because again, I may not be the fastest, but you give me enough distance and I can just keep clicking at it once I get that pace. So, um, so yeah. Um, so you would do all three of those? I'm, I like, you would. Oh, okay. So this is the plan. So not all three because. So okay. Cause I'm like, that's is, a lot. <laughs> no, 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 no okay. that is a lot. And they're, they're on a Monday, Wednesday, and the half marathon is Saturday. So right now we're making the final decisions as to which one we're going to key in. It could probably, it's probably going to be the 10 K, but it depends. It could be the half marathon. So if we race the half marathon, I'm definitely just going to run the 10 K, which is three days prior so it'll just be that sort of thing. And if we go the other way, if I am going to make it to Poland with enough anticipation to be able to peak for the 10K, we're just going to do that. And then I'm already in Poland. Three days later, I run a half marathon, uh, which is, again, just so that is the plan. Um, this is the most exciting part of the year for me in terms of dreaming really big because you get to plan out the whole year. So typically at the end of the year, I sort of reflect as to 
what happened, what races worked, what didn't. And then I plan for the whole rest of the year. I'm, I've already registered for most of the races that I'm committing to doing for the following year. Um, so I'm committed all the way through November. So most of my key mark races like Broad Street, of course, uh, those are regulars in my schedule. So those are already like there. Um, so the plan is Poland. Uh, and again, it would be the Puerto Rico singlet. <laughs> Yeah, that's very exciting. That's very exciting. Um, let's let's pivot a little bit because you being a vegan is also a huge part of your identity. Uh, how long have you been a vegan? And I'd love to you know hear how you how you plan your nutrition. You know, it, we yeah. we talk a lot about protein, and of course, everybody asks <laughs> vegans like, "How do you eat your protein?" <laughs> you know, like that comes up question. over and over again. <laughs> so I just want to like you know talk a bit about that. And what is? I know you were inducted into the Great Vegan Athlete Global Platform, and I I don't know what that is, but I'd love to hear about that too. Yeah. So let's start from the beginning. I think you know, for me, it was a gradual change. Again, I was born in a tropical island in the middle of the Caribbean. We eat meat, you know, it's just like, you know, I grew up eating the standard Latin American diet. So lots of meat, um, very few vegetables, lots of rice and beans. So that's the first 17, 18 years of my life. When I start, when I went away to college and I started, you know, um, focusing really in lots of the biology and the foods, the more I learned about the food and the nutrition science, it's, you can see the change gradually happening over, over time. It's like, wait, where does my food come from? Wait, how does my body metabolize that? And why do I need this? And understanding those bio, you know, biochemical pathways in terms of how nutrients are taken into our body and absorbed and used. I thought, and why am I eating the cow instead of the, you know, what the cow eats, you know, that sort of thing. I decided, well, let me just eliminate the middleman. Um, so that was sort of the beginning of me making very different um, food choices based on just biology, based just on energy efficiency you know when you study photosynthesis and you realize that oh my god it is plants that have all that energy and that power so if you eat the plant i mean that most of the energy you're going to be able to harness right um if you're eating the animal that ate the plant you you have lost quite a bit of that in in that energy transformation so just from the energy perspective to me at the time it just then why am i eating the animals then so, so that was the beginning of my thinking. And as I went further into my graduate career and really started looking and deep diving into food um, and where the food comes from, and as a food scientist, I had the access to behind the veil. Whoa, that was a major wake-up call. That to me, I quickly realized the inhumane um, conditions that these animals were grown for the purpose of being killed and, and be used for food. And when you go through experiences like that, and very few people get to go behind that veil of what really happens and how many days it takes to wash away that stench, you know, from being in those harvest, you know, facilities and those slaughterhouses, it changes you profoundly, you know, when you, when you, hear the screams when you feel the pain you make very very different choices so as my career as a food scientist progressed my choices in terms of food were very different first it was from a health perspective second it was from an animal welfare perspective and then by the time you know grad school was done and i had become i i had a view a very big view in terms of the environment and the planet and then i 
you know, was looking at how to grow food for long duration space missions because the need to do that, but the, also the understanding that there's limited resources on our own planet. And now we're looking and, and, and scientists like myself are looking at questions as to how do we grow food in other planets? And I'm thinking, oh my God. Um, so now I'm looking at all these environmental um, concerns as to why the way I eat has an impact in the environment, right? The choices I make in the food have an impact. So those are like three different doors that led me to making very different food choices that are now based completely on plants. So 100% plant-based um, vegan, um, quote unquote diet. I hate using the word diet because of all the other implications, but you know, the context that I'm using a way of eating, yes. not just a diet. Right. So that is the journey of, of, you know, the shift, um, you know, a psychological shift an academic shift and a heart shift when you realize that we don't eat dogs, but yet we eat cows, we eat pigs and we wear their skin. And it's just, you know, so that was part of, of the becoming the vegan. Um, your second question in terms of what I eat or what it looks like, it looks like a lot of plants. <laughs> it looks like a lot of diversity. It looks like an abundance of fiber. So when I look at what I eat in a day and what I eat in a week, I try to eat as many different types of plants as I possibly can. 30 is like the minimum number. So when you ask people, how many different types of plants do you eat every day? Um, I eat a lot of different types of plants. Um, and then the other thing is just food is about enjoyment. Food has to taste good. Food has to look good. So for me, as a food scientist and working with food manufacturing facilities, the food has to be, first of all, it has to be cheap, not cheap, but it has to be affordable, right? So it doesn't matter how incredibly good it is or how great it looks. If it's too expensive, nobody's going to buy it. Second, it has to be accessible. So it has to be all over the place. You don't have to go you know, to a special store that has that one particular food or vegetable that you eat. And the third, it has to taste good. So when you look at what I have done in my career with leafy greens you know, and the way that we especially in Pennsylvania, we get most of our leafy greens from the West Coast, that has to change, right? So we are now looking at controlled environment agriculture to ensure that we have ways, innovation technologies in which we grow plants indoors all year round using a lot less water and the nutritional density and the value of these fruits and vegetables are amazing when you taste something that is freshly harvested versus a lettuce or a spinach that came from you know 1500 miles away food miles matter the nutritional density of the food that i want to eat it has to be at its peak so that's another way in which I make decisions in terms of how I'm going to eat and how I'm going to fuel. And the whole protein question, I always, always, always get that. But trust me, you know, you know, animals don't make protein. The protein comes from the plants that the animals eat. So if you eat a, a well-balanced, wide variety of, of legumes and grains and fruits and vegetables, you're not going to have to worry about, am I getting enough protein? Um, there's yeah. ways yeah. of getting enough. Yes, my, my daughter actually worked at Bowery Farms um, over last, oh, yes, last summer, which we, for people who don't know, it's an indoor growing facility. We have uh, mostly lettuces and some 
herbs, but she would come home with so much. It was actually awesome. We just burned oh, that's through wonderful. it. Yeah, I she love would come it. home with so much lettuce and it was really, really good. Yeah, Bowery is doing fantastic work opening um, many different farms. The, obviously, the one that was um, opened in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Oh, really, Bethlehem, p- fantastic. So wonderful facility, amazing technology, great people, a big fan of Bowery. Yeah, excellent. I, I'd like to, to to sort of wrap this up with talking about your work with the Celebrate the Gray modeling agency. You do have yeah. the most stunning gray. Like you've got, you, you are a model sort of, you are a model for the, for the Celebrate the Gray. Thank um, you. You know, you want to change the face of aging for, you know, women 50 plus, which I really love. Like, how did you get involved with that? And where do you, have you seen the impact of that work? Yes. So um, Celebrate Gray is, you know, Stephanie, who started the, the modeling agency, it just had this vision and recognized the need for having a group of women available to brands that wanted to have older women represent, you know, their products. When you look at the media, when you look at, you know, the magazines, the commercials, what's online, the Instagram, you don't see older women with gray hair you know, and the wrinkles, right? So it's like, we do not see ourselves. And yet we're a segment of the population that has the most money to spend on all the products and services. And yet we're not being included. Um, And what attracted me to the firm was really the message about let's redefine this let's show what older women are able to do. And to me, when I met the rest of the women, you know, who are again, physically active, you know, living healthy lifestyles, having all this amazing, you know, work that they're doing in so many different industries. I thought I want to be a part of this. That was part of me building my sisterhood, you know, around, you know, outside of of my my sisterhood of running. Um, How I got started was um, for many years, again, I just felt, and this is a very personal thing, you know, you know, if if women want to continue coloring their hair, I mean, I'm I'm fine with that. But there's a difference between doing something because you want to continue to color your hair versus you're coloring your hair because you feel the that you have to in order to be accepted to to keep looking younger because it is something that society is telling you that you have to do in order to be pretty um and and to me hair had defined me for so long i mean i had really really long hair i was coloring my hair it was in my 40s i was still coloring my hair and i'm thinking Again, that doesn't with me and my values about being true to myself and about, you know, the expense and the inconvenience of why am I coloring my hair? Why? You know, when you ask yourself that question, if the answer is, I don't want to continue coloring my hair, then don't, right? If your answer is, I really, really like coloring my hair. I, I like looking this way. That's fine. You know, go ahead and keep doing that. For me, it was like, no, not doing it, not doing it. So what happened was when the roots started showing that really awkward period, like right now I'm letting it grow, but um, so it was really awkward. So I, I went from long hair to just cut it all off so that only the white shows. And then that's that's how my hair ended up you know, being this short. It had never been that short before. And I never went back. I stayed with gray hair and really short hair for, you know, for, and that was like, I was 46, 47. And by the way, the other thing that really helped me make that decision was most of my friends that were friends who were in my in their 60s and 70s who had you know gray hair were some of the most confident smart 
comfortable in their own skin. And I'm like, why do I have to wait until my 60s to look and feel that way? So it was really a couple of my friends who I, I just adore them. I admired them so much. And they had made that transition later in their 50s or 60s. And I thought, you know what, let me just, you know, <laughs> skip the line <laughs> and just do it in my 40s. And I absolutely loved it. I never went back. And it was, you know, through my 40s. And then a few years ago, when I found um, Stephanie, again, through mutual friends, um, and she does have quite a big presence in social media. So one thing led to another, we were connected through several women who had done work in, in the agency. And um, yeah, and I think it's working. I think, you know, we're seeing a lot more uh, women in, in media that are that look like me that have white hair. And yet, I love the fact that I have gray hair, and I can outrun women half my age. Right. Uh, and to me, that makes me feel much more powerful than coloring my hair and having only be because I feel like I have to, right. you know, again, I'm I understand you're being very, very careful about that. Yeah, it's a very that. personal thing, uh, but you know, this is my story and this is what, you know, resonated with me and what worked for me and why I chose to do the work to then put myself um, in front of a camera and just say, I'm going to work with brands that are aligned with my values and are willing to take the chance to put a 55 year old, on a picture or a commercial and it's been fun, you know, <laughs> doing the work in front of the camera. Um, it's, it's getting easier. It was, trust me, this is not a natural thing <laughs> for me. So um, it's getting easier though, uh, to just be myself and just say, okay, what product are we doing? And <laughs> um, yeah, so it's fun. I, I really, I love that. And, and thank you for doing it. I mean, I think it is really important and I, I, I applaud it. And and speaking uh, speaking of let's bring this full circle. You you've mentioned to me uh, previously that you're having conversations about menopause and sort of like the Latin American community. What what is going on there? So this is fantastic how it all started. I had been I was doing a podcast and it was actually the shocking part, Celine, is that the there are two um, hosts and they're male. Okay, so um, these two guys were like, you know, if we could only understand what's happening to our wives. <laughs> Because, you know, they're both runners and they're both over 50 and they're going through the issues of menopause because of dealing with their wives. And they genuinely wanted to know, you know, how do we manage this? How do we work with this? How long does this last? <laughs> so, um, this sort of conversation started. That was one of my ends. That was like one of the doors that first started cracking to like, you know, open to like, hey, we would like to talk about this, um, but we don't really know who to ask and nobody would want to talk about this in public and I was like okay I'll do it <laughs> so that was sort of like the first um, opening and um, we're actually doing our big first show in January middle of January um, it is a really really big audience it, it goes beyond Puerto Rico to Latin America and Spain and other you know Spanish-speaking countries um, so I realized that doing this might be one of those pivotal moments or <laughs> the path that I choose. Um, but I'm hoping that this is just going to open up conversations so that other women um, um, are feeling okay about not being so taboo about this because the horrible thing in Latin America is that it's not even talked about in the homes. It's not even talked about in, in communities of running communities or, or gardening communities or just women or they're just not 
talking about it. And I would like to change that. I, I think it's really, really important because, I mean, it, it's helped me being able to listen to you, your, your show. Do you speak Spanish, Lynn? <laughs> not, not well. A C, a C. I wish you could do, you know, we could do it together or, or something along those lines. And by the way, the book Next Level has to be in Spanish. I it is already been picked up in I don't know if it's been picked up in Spanish yet. It's already been picked up in a couple of different languages. So let me check. Um, I've lost track of that, but I will 100% let you know. Absolutely would would love to have that as a resource, uh, because once the conversation starts and once, you know, a few women follow hopefully my lead and say, OK, so we're going to start talking about our experiences and how we have handled it and how, you know, what's different about, you know, what we've done. Um, so, yeah, I'd love to. This is important to me. And um, and again, I'm not shy about being first. Um there's, you know, I've been first in many things in my life. So um, this is just going to be another one of those things. Um, so anyways, I'm hoping that it's going to be the first of many. And I've already had hinted interest, even rumors that all the people heard at the end of that other podcast that I did that I was going to be doing this. Now women are reaching out to me. It's like, you're going to be talking about this. That's great. <laughs> so the interest has already started, you know, the, you know, the energy and the buzz and the vibe about if this is happening, she's going to do it. If she's going to get up there and talk about it, well, let's see what she has to say. And then, you know, let's see, hopefully, I find some support um, that it's just not going to be me out there. Um, but even if it, you'll find support, yeah, even, you know, it, I, I think so. I mean, it's, it's just the culture, right? Um, it, you just have to change it um, and be open to the fact that it may not be a popular thing. You know, it may be a thing that a lot of people turn off, but it's okay. A few people will listen. So, um, but anyways, I just thought it was great that it's actually two guys who are interested in, um, in having that that chat, um, which I think is it's great, you know, but it's because they're trying to figure out how to save their marriages. <laughs> and that's great. And and I do. I you'll have to keep me abreast of how it goes, but I I feel it in my in my skin that you will have support that the, the people will will listen and be um, supported and supportive. How did you handle it? I mean, did you feel when you first started out? I know that, I mean, it was already, it's a different, you know, scenario where all the people were talking about it as well. But in terms of the feedback that you received, do you remember when you first started, like the podcast and just being so focused just on menopause? Oh, yeah. No, I was actually, and there weren't many people in athletic circles at all talking about it. I didn't hear anybody talking about it, which is why I started this show. You could you could hear about it in sort of the mainstream if you went looking for it. But if you were an athletic person, you know, and I think that that dovetails with people's perception of like, well, if you talk about that, then you're talking about getting old and maybe you're talking about being past your prime and all those other things that dovetail with menopause. Right. So I I had this platform. I had this opportunity. I had a long history of interviewing all kinds of experts and athletes that I knew I could you know, use as resources. I was very nervous the night before I was going to launch this. Oh, yes. Um, because I was like, oh, oh, I'm actually going to do this. I'm actually going to say this and be this. And it was it was weird for me. You know, honestly, it was because people just don't 
it was weird. And it was weird when I'd show up at races and people be like, I love your pie. And they, they'd want to talk menopause. And I'm like, well, I'm in the line picking up my number, but okay. You know, like <laughs> let's, I guess we'll talk, you know, and it's gotten like, now I'm much more relaxed with it, but it was, yeah. it was, very, it was very strange. And I was a little concerned and I've only had a couple of people sort of ghost me once they hear the word menopause, but that's less and less. Like I was a little concerned that the athletes and some of the people that I wanted to have on who weren't researchers or doctors wouldn't want to be on the show, wouldn't want to associate themselves with menopause. Because it because I mean, when you talk about um, you know, some of them were still racing sort of open categories and they they just they're they're concerned that sponsors are gonna see them as like old or you know there's still that ageism piece that we that's that has to get knocked down and we, we're still dealing with that so uh you know i think it was more about that you know more about like oh maybe you're not as in your prime you know that kind of thing and as an athlete you don't want anyone to like you don't want any of that you don't want chinks in the armor you don't want to talk about hot flashes and anxiety and no sleep right like like those are things that you just don't want to keep put out in the open but then like once somebody did like Rebecca Rush I mean I still to this day I'll, I'm so grateful for her because she said I've never said the word menopause and like she's like but she went and talked to her coach about it and she's like this is when I went through it and they got her power numbers and like that's how you really knock down doors right 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 so two things I'd like to add to that the first one is one of the reasons why I decided to get both of my certifications as a running coach both from the USATF and, you know, RRCA was because I see the gap, I see the opportunity to have women who understand menopause, who are scientists, who are well-versed with the literature to actually teach other women, to actually train other women who are going, you know, who are in perimenopause, menopause, or postmenopause. And I tell you that male coaches who are coaching master's women are not in that position where they haven't had the type of training. They haven't taken, you know, Dr. Stacey Sims, you know, course, and it's, it would really benefit the female athletes to have a male coach who has that perspective. But for me, just having identified that gap and knowing what I wish I would have had access to, you know, nobody else was doing it. I was like, fine, I'll do it myself. I'll become that one coach who really, really, and now there's so many of us, right? I've seen so many of your guests, you know, I've, I've, you know, the summit that you had recently, there are so many other women who now have the expertise and are able to provide guidance, you know, from a coaching perspective um, to other, you know, female masters runners. And that's really, really incredibly important. So one of the pivots in my career is to, again, create my work that aligns with my values. And this has become so incredibly important to me that I went through the whole process of having to get all the certifications so that I can, you know, legitimately, you know, give advice and guidance to other women who are in the same, in my same position, you know. Um, so that was the impetus for me becoming a coach was really because I wanted to work with women who are um, going through exactly what I had gone through and what I'm still going through right now. So that's another big part. And then the second thing I wanted to say about what you just said a few minutes ago is one of the key things that I think you're emphasizing a lot in all your, you know, shows is your view of my best days are ahead of me. Yes. And that has resonated so 
clearly and so deeply with me because when I first heard you say it, I was like, oh my God, that's my thing. <laughs> I'm always thinking, you know, this is, you know, it's different than when I was in my 40s. But trust me, that drive, that competitiveness, that just wanting to be the best that I can be at this point with my new body is, is still there. Um, so my, my best days are most definitely ahead of me. All right. That's our show. Come on back next week. When I sit down with Pat Spencer, a mental coach with her business, getting your mind in gear. Pat went from being a competitive age group triathlete to coming to a grinding halt in endurance sports because of low energy availability and relative energy deficiency in sports, which it took a long time to get diagnosed. This was one of the most eye-opening stories I think I've heard, and I think every menopausal woman should hear it. So come on back for that one. And until then, as always, stay feisty. You've been listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I'm your host, Celine Yeager. The show is edited and produced by the strong, talented, and amazing women at Live Feisty Media. Follow us on social media at Feisty Menopause, and please help us spread the word. Screenshot and share this episode on your social media channels with the tag at Feisty Menopause. Share the show with your friends, And please subscribe, like, review, and rate this show wherever you get your podcasts. Word of mouth and good reviews make it easier for other listeners to find. Thanks for listening, and as always, stay feisty. As a lifelong runner and cyclist, I am stoked to announce that Tifosi Optics has come on as a podcast sponsor. The beauty of Tifosi sports glasses is that they hit all the marks. They are shatterproof polycarbonate, so the lenses not only reduce glare, but also offer scratch resistance and complete eye protection. They stay put. They have little hydrophilic rubber nose pads that actually get more grippy the more you sweat, so they stay secure and don't slide down your face even when you're running in sauna-like conditions. No matter what sport you do, they have a shade for your activity, including tennis, fishing, pickleball, running, cycling, and just hanging out at the beach. And they are super reasonably well-priced, which is very hard to find in a sea of overpriced eyewear. And they just look freaking rad. So head on over to tifosioptics.com and use the code FM, capital F, and capital M, like Feisty Menopause, number 20, FM20, to get 20% off your order today. I'll put a clickable link in the show notes to make it a snap.